Second Chronicles chapter number 2. Let's stand for the reading. We'll read the first 10 verses. Second Chronicles chapter number 2, beginning in verse 1. And Solomon determined to build an house for the name of the Lord and an house for his kingdom. And Solomon told out threescore and ten thousand men to bear burdens, and fourscore thousand to hew in the mountain, and three thousand and six hundred to oversee them. And Solomon sent to Huram, the king of Tyre, saying, As thou didst deal with David my father, and didst send him cedars to build him, and house to dwell therein, even so deal with me. Behold, I will build an house to the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him, and to burn before him sweet incense, and for the continual showbread, and for the burnt offerings before uh, morning and evening on the Sabbaths, and on the new moons, and on the solemn feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods." But who is able to build him in house, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him an house, save only to burn sacrifice before him? Send me now therefore a man cunning to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron and in purple and crimson and blue, and that can skill to grave with the cunning men that are with me in Judah and in Jerusalem, whom David my father did provide. Send me also cedar trees, fir trees, and algum trees out of Lebanon. For I know that thy servants can skill to cut timber in Lebanon. And behold, my servants shall be with thy servants. Even to prepare me timber in abundance, for the house which I am about to build shall be wonderful great. And behold, I will give to thy servants the hewers that cut timber, 20,000 measures of beaten wheat, and 20,000 measures of barley, and 20,000 baths of wine and 20,000 baths of oil. It was David, King David's intention to build a house for God, a temple for the Lord, but God told him that he couldn't. He told him that he had shed too much blood, and instead his son Solomon would be able to build it. And this text has to do with events that took place thousands of years ago in the life of King Solomon, But like all the rest of Scripture, there are practical lessons that we can pull out for ourselves. All Scripture is given for inspiration, and it's given for our instruction. It's given for our reproof, so we can read any part of the Scripture, and we can learn something for ourselves. Tonight, I'm not going to preach long. I know it's already late. But I want to pull out five brief lessons from our text. This was a momentous occasion for Solomon. It was his father's dream to build it. His father David never was able to, but now Solomon is going to be able to build this structure that would be dedicated to God Almighty. He would be the one that would carry it out. It was a big moment. It was his big moment. And while none of us will ever build a temple of this magnificence, our work in life is a great work. And what you do, if you do it for the Lord, is a great work as well. We're going to see that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we are glad to be in your house tonight. We've been encouraged 
by the testimonies, we've been encouraged by the music, we've been encouraged by the reports, by the servants of God who, who work so tirelessly at camp. And we're just filled with, with wonder of you. And we know that it may seem like great sacrifice that we make, that people make, and yet compared to who you are and what you've done for us, it's really very small. And so tonight, Lord, we pray as we look at your word here in this chapter that is dedicated to the building of the temple for God, Lord, that you would help us here in 2019 to be able to glean some things that might help us in our ministry, in our life, in our work for the Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Five brief lessons. Number one, the work is great because God is great. Look in verse five. And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. This house, this temple that Solomon would build is beyond magnificent. It was, it was far above anything that these people had ever seen or, or, or would see, or, or even above what they could imagine. We know a lot about this from the Bible. You can read it in the next couple of chapters. All that went into it, it was basically this just magnificent structure of all gold. History records how magnificent it was. But what made it so great, what made the work of Solomon so great was not the, 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 the amount of, of pure gold throughout it. It wasn't the, the sheer size of it. It wasn't the amount of man hours that went into it. Look, look in verse 2. And Solomon told out threescore and ten thousand men to bear burdens. Seventy thousand laborers working on this project. And fourscore thousand. Eighty thousand people hewing in the mountain. Eighty thousand people going out into the mountains and hewing these rocks and these stones out. And, and three thousand and six hundred to oversee them. Nearly four thousand foremen on the job. This was quite a project, but it wasn't, it wasn't even the, the number of man hours that, that went into it that made it so great. What made it so great was its purpose, that it would be a dwelling place for God Almighty. This would be the house of God. Now, now we understand that God would not come down in human form to, to dwell there. It, it was for this reason in, in verse number one that Solomon to build and determined to build a house for the name of the Lord. God is not contained in space. God is beyond space. God is outside the realms of time as we know it. But it would be a place that would be dedicated to God, where his presence would dwell in a special way. The work was great, not because of the size of it or the magnificence of it. It was great because it was a work of the Lord and for the Lord. <clears throat> Some may look at some of the largest churches around and say they're great because of the size of their membership role, or they're great because of the, the building where they meet, or they're great because of the uh, design and artwork that they, that they put out. But what, what makes it great is, is not what, what, what is impressive to our eyes. What makes it great is that of uh, the one who the work is for. This may not be a large church, but it's a great work because it's a work of the Lord and God is great. Your Sunday school class may not be growing as quickly as you would like for it to. 
But it's a great work because it's God's work and God is great. When you're doing whatever you're doing at your place of employment and you're doing it for the Lord, it may not seem like much, but if you're doing it for the Lord, then it's great because God is great. Whatever we do for God is a great work. If your primary place of employment is at at home with your children, raising up children who love the Lord and to serve him, then your, your work is great because God is great. Whatever we do ought to be done for the Lord. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all for the glory of God. Every work is great. There are no unimportant jobs when we think of them like that. It should be noted that the quality of the work we do will be dependent on our view of the work. The the quality of the work we do will be dependent on our view of the work. Some people take great pride in in their lawn and how their lawn looks, and so they they manicure it with, with great precision because they value it. Other people, not so much. Just because the work of God is great does not mean that we will always view it as great. But the work is great. Because God is great. And because it's for him. Solomon viewed it that way. Verse 5, the house which I build is great. And he gives the reason why it's great for God. For great is our God above all gods. Number two, the second thing we see from this is this. The work is a team effort. God's work was never meant to be accomplished alone. Look in verse 2 again. Solomon told out three score and 10,000 men to bear burdens and four score thousand to hew in the mountain and 3,000 and 600 to oversee them. And Solomon sent to Huram, the king of Tyre, saying, As thou didst deal with David my father and didst send him cedars to build him a house to dwell there, and even so deal with me. And then in verse 7, Send me now therefore a man cunning to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron and in purple and crimson and blue, and that can skill to grave with the cunning men that are with me in Judah and in Jerusalem, whom David, my father, did provide. This was not a work that Solomon could accomplish on his own. And the work that we do, whatever it is, is and should be a team effort. If we're doing it alone, then we're doing it wrong. We never see people doing ministry alone in the Bible. It was rare for Paul ever to be alone. There was one time he was left alone in Athens. But everywhere he went, he had somebody with him. Early on, he had John Mark and Barnabas. And then when they went their separate ways, he took along with him Titus and then Timothy and and others, always others traveling with him. Even when he was in prison writing, there were others gathered around him. He was never, never alone. Jesus was rarely alone, except to go alone to pray at times. He always had people with him. Teamwork, teaching, training. He even sent out the apostles two by two. Ministry is not meant to be a solo endeavor. I'm grateful for for people who invested in me at a young age when I was basically good for nothing. People who poured into me and, and allowed me to be around them and learn from them. People have allowed me to work with them on job sites when I'm sure I wasn't helping progress. I may have even been slowing them down, but it allowed me to learn valuable skills that would help me in life. And I can say the same in ministry many times over. People who took me along with them on bus routes when I didn't know anything to say, didn't have anything to say, but I went, went along to learn. People who asked me to, to stand in front of children and, 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 and preach and teach to them when I, 
I probably had no place doing that, and I would, it would be humorous, I'm sure, to go back and to watch those messages preached back then, but they were pouring into me, investing and making it a team ministry that has made a difference, that's making a difference today. It's a team ministry. It's a team work. What we do, we cannot do alone. This work, the work of the Lord, is a team effort. It's great because God is great. The work is a team effort. Number three, practically, you are most useful where you are most skillful. You're most useful where you're most skillful. We're going to read verse seven again. Send me now, therefore, Solomon sending, a man cunning to work in gold and in silver and in brass, and in iron and in purple and crimson and blue, and that can skill to grave with the cunning men that are with me in Judah and in Jerusalem, whom David my father did provide. The word cunning means crafty. It means skillful. It means wise. So he sends out, and he's looking for people that are skilled in working with all of these different types of stones and materials that could be used in the house of God. He, he, Solomon wasn't just looking for anybody. He wasn't looking for an athlete. He wasn't looking for a, a, an orator or an intellect. This job on this day had a very specific skill set. He needed somebody that could fashion gold and fashion silver and fashion brass. Solomon was a, a, a jack of all trades. He could do a lot of things. He was, he, was, he was a genius. He was the wisest man on the planet, but even he was not qualified for everything that needed to be done on this job. And so the principle here is that we should all serve according to our gifts. It's a team effort, and there's plenty for all of us to do. Not every job is a skilled job. Not every job is a skilled job. And it would be unwise and, frankly, selfish of us to say, well, that's not my skill set, so I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not particularly gifted in hospitality, so I'm never going to be hospitable. I'm never going to have people over or go mingle with people. That would, that would not be a, a wise thing. But we ought to be looking for ways where we can use our skills for the work of the Lord. Quite often, we don't have to even look for a place to serve because our skills are, are, are evident. For example, if you're, a, if you're a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician, then work has a way of finding you. I got this problem. I got this air condition in, our, in my van that doesn't work. Could you help me? The, the, the Bible verse for this is Proverbs 18.6. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. We see the value of learning skills and trades. I, I think back when King Saul was having some spiritual issues and he needed somebody that was skilled to come and to play for him. And, they, and someone just happened to know this boy named David who, who was already skilled in playing the harp and they brought him in. His, his, his craft made a way for him. I heard this week of some young people who were planning to take up learning some musical instruments. And, and that gets me excited. New people wanting to learn. We ought to, be, we ought to be learning trades and skills and then developing them and then mastering them and learning to excel because there, there are many times that are going to come along when, when, when there's going to be a need and we can fill that need because of a skill that we've learned. And we would do well in our labors, those of you that are working in ministry in any way, 
to look out for people, to, to seek out people who maybe are already skilled in an area that they could come alongside you. Or maybe who have an interest and say, this person, I could bring them alongside me. Maybe, like me, they could grab me and say, why don't you go along with me out on visitation this week on the bus route? Why don't, why don't, why don't you consider coming and, 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 and preaching sometime to our young people? They may not want to do it. They may not think they're capable, and they're probably not capable. But it'll be good for them, and they'll... Along the way, this teamwork, this teamwork uh, brings about the ministry of God. And you're most useful where you're most skillful. And if you say, I'm not skillful, then I would say, let's, let's learn some skills. Let's, let's become skillful. Number four, you are unqualified to accomplish the work. Here's the negative one. Look at verse number six. Solomon says, who is able to build him in house, seeing the heaven and heavens, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him. That's quite a question, isn't it? Who is able to build in house for somebody who can't even be contained in heaven and the heaven of heavens? Who is qualified to build this house? It's not just, it's not my house. It's not just the biggest, nicest house on the block. This is a house for one who cannot even be contained in all of the heavens. Isaiah 66, 1 says it like this. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? Who is qualified to build a house for God who has earth as his footstool? And the obvious answer is nobody is qualified to do that. There's no one qualified to accomplish the work of God. Nobody is. It's too big for us. The work of regeneration in the life of a man or woman is too big for us. We're not qualified. The, the, the job that we have to take the gospel to the entire world it's too big for us. The job that we, that we have to make disciples and to teach them and train them, that it's, too, it's too much. We're not qualified. The work of restoring broken relationships and marriages, it's, it's, it, we're unqualified to do that. Uh, putting uh, families that are, that are separated and, and trying to put them back together, we're unqualified to do that. I'm unqualified and you're unqualified. And if you think you're qualified, then you're the most unqualified of all. But the good news is that it's not our work. It's not our work. It's God's work. Solomon recognized that. Which brings us to number five. God is honored by the humility of his people. God is honored by the humility of his people. There is a certain humility that's required to resist trying to accomplish everything on our own, thinking that we can do it better on my own, thinking if I enlist other people in this ministry that it's just going to slow me down. That's, that's natural thinking. If I get other people involved, it's going to slow me down. But that's, that's, that's prideful thinking, and it, it takes humility to say, I'm going to bring others along with me. And we see humility in Solomon, especially here in verse number 6. He says, but who is able to build him and how, seeing the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I then that I should build him a house save only to burn sacrifice before him? Now Solomon 
was the best, the, the most well-known man around. He was the wealthiest man in the world. He was the wisest man in the world. He had everything, everything. Solomon had everything. And yet, even Solomon says, who am I? That's the kind of attitude God's looking for. Who am I? It's a great work. It's too large. It's too big for me. Jason preached on James chapter 4 this morning, where James said that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Where James said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. If you'll humble yourself, then God will lift you up. This isn't the first humility we've seen in in Solomon. Turn back to the first chapter. This is where God visited Solomon in a dream and with a blank check essentially said, Solomon, ask me what you want and I will give you anything that you want. Second Chronicles chapter one, verse seven. In that night did did God appear to Solomon and said unto him, ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, thou hast showed great mercy unto David, my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, Lord God, I let thy promise unto David, my father, be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. <clears throat> Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. And listen to this phrase. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? He recognized that the job was too big for him. The work was too big. He had been put placed there, but it was too big for him. And this is the attitude God's looking for, the attitude of humility. Now, why is that so important to God? Why is our attitude of humility so important to God? We get the answer in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians. So turn there. We'll end there in 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. God's chosen weak things. God's chosen foolish things. God's chosen base things. God's chosen despised things. He hasn't chosen the mighty. He hasn't chosen the noble. He hasn't chosen the wise. Why? Verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. He gives us the reason. God doesn't want us to glory in what he is doing. God's work is great because he is great. But if we're not careful, we can get in God's great and we can God in God's great work and start to think that we're something. Look what God's look, look what I, look what I'm doing. We may not say that. So God decides to choose often the base and the weak and the foolish, so that no flesh will glory. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a believer, if you're committed to following him, then the work that you're doing is a great work. It may not seem great. You may compare what you're doing to what he's doing, or what they're doing, or what she's doing. You may, you may compare, but we're not wise if we do that. If we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. 
But if you're doing a work and you're doing it for the Lord, then it's a great work. Moms, if you're trying to raise children who, who love and serve the Lord, that's a great work. If you're teaching young people in any capacity, that's a great work. If you're going to nursing homes and preaching and, and encouraging those folks, that's a, that's a great work because God's great. If you have a bus route, you're picking people up and getting breaking down on a 98-degree day this morning, it didn't seem like a great work at the time, I'm sure. But that's a great work because God's great. If you go to jail, went to jail this afternoon. If you went to jail last night, that's a great work because God is great. We tempt, we're tempted to compare what we're doing with what someone else is doing. But if it's for the Lord, it's a great work. But whatever work you're involved in, don't, don't try to go in alone. Enlist, enlist a partner. Get a group. Let's, let's do this together. The work is a group effort. It's a team effort. Two are stronger than one. For if one will fall down, the other can help him up. It's a team effort. Don't try to do it yourself. Not only that, you're the most useful, or you're the most skilled. So enlist, enlist the help of people who, can, who, who are skilled, who are able to help you. Learn the skills to improve. Realize you're unqualified to accomplish the work. But that's okay, because it's not really your work anyway. It's God's work. We have a comforter living within us, the paracleto, one that comes alongside of us and aids us. And then humble yourself. Allow God to raise you up. And he will. He'll continue to bless the work. And then you won't be tempted to say, look how great I am. Look at this great work that I've accomplished. Look how good my kids turned out. Look how good this project went. Look how many we had this morning. But instead, you'll say, look how great God is. The work is great because God is great. Whatsoever we do, do it as to the Lord. Whether you eat, eating seems like a pretty basic daily function. Whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Whatever it is. To do whatever you're doing to the glory of the Lord, you don't have to take anything else on. You can just take what you're already doing and do it for the glory of the Lord. Whatever it is, your job, you may not think of it that way, but Jason talked about that this morning. Do it for the glory of the Lord. Your job, your ministry, do it for the glory of the Lord. If you're not really serving anywhere, decide to start. Start somewhere. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. For all of us. It's a great work. We, we, let's get involved in it. Let's, whatever it is, get, let's get involved in it. This is a big... It, it's not going to be an effort that takes 150,000 people like, like Solomon's project did. But there are people we can enlist. Amen.